and welcome to Bible Words. In this series, each week I take a single word which appears in the lectionary readings for that Sunday and explore the use of that word throughout the scriptures. I look at each word as it appears in the original language, so for New Testament words in Greek, for Old Testament words in Hebrew. I hope that by looking at a single word across the scriptures in this way, it will help us all develop a greater sense of the unity of all scripture. This week's Bible word is the Greek noun skene, which means tent. This word appears in the Gospel of the second Sunday of Lent, year A, that's Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 to 9, when, at the transfiguration of the Lord, Peter suggests building three tents, one for Jesus, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. The noun skene is one of a group of eight other related Greek words, all with meanings related to tents, or to the making, setting up, or dwelling in tents. As with previous episodes of Bible Words, I will consider these skene words as a single group, since their meanings are closely related, except where I need to focus on one specific variant of the word. In the secular Greek literature of the ancient world, the basic meaning of skene as tent is common. It is frequently used for military camps, for example in Xenophon's Anabasis. There are a series of meanings related to tent-like structures, such as a market booth, or a cover of a wagon, or a cabin on the deck of a ship. The word is also used for the edifice at the back of a Greek theatre, which originally was an awning to allow actors to put on costumes, and eventually became a permanent structure at the rear of the stage. This meaning gives us, via Latin, our English words scene and scenic, which have their own theatrical meanings. Skene words were also extended to dwellings, whether they were physical, as when Aristotle observes the swallow skill in building their nest, the Greek word there is skenopegia, or where the dwellings are metaphorical, for example Plato's observation about injustice's tent being widely spread. Skene was also used occasionally to describe a portable shrine for the gods, a practice that the historian Diodorus observes amongst the Carthaginians, for example. It is of note that most of the meanings of skene in the secular Greek literature have an impermanent, transitory nature, whether they're referring to the structures themselves or their use. In the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures, which was produced between the 3rd and 2nd centuries before Christ, the word skene is very common, well over 500 occurrences, counting all the variants. This is not surprising when we consider that the patriarchs were nomadic, pitching tents as they journeyed. So we see that Abraham's journey at the Lord's command describes where he pitched his tent, Skenein, during his journey, that's in Genesis chapter 12 verse 8. And various groups live in tents, nomads in Genesis chapter 4 verse 20, herdsmen in the book of Judges chapter 6 verse 5, and soldiers in the second book of the Kings chapter 7 verses 7 and 8. Most significantly of all, the people of Israel live in tents during the exodus from Egypt and their journey to the Promised Land. During this journey, in Exodus chapter 18 verse 7, Jethro visits Moses, and they go into the tent, the Skenen, together for a meeting. This formative period of tent dwelling becomes, later in Israel's history, the Feast of Tabernacles, literally of tents or tent-making, Skenopegia, 
where the people of Israel dwelt in tents for seven days to recall this wilderness period and to commemorate God's provision for them and remind Israel of its continued dependence on God. The feast is instituted in Leviticus chapter 23, verses 34, 42, and 43, and it's also mandated in Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 15 to 16. The word skene is extended metaphorically to dwellings in general. So in Psalm 118, verse 15, we hear of the tents of the just, and Zion is invited to stretch out its tents in Isaiah chapter 54, verses 2 and 3. Most tragically, in the first book of Kings, chapter 12, verse 16, the northern tribes, when they're faced with the intransigence of Rehoboam, king of Judah, say, To your tents, O Israel, the word there is skenomata, and they depart in conflict as a preface to the division of the kingdom and its corresponding weakening, leading eventually to exile. God himself maintains creation like a tent as a metaphor of his providence. He lays out creation like a huge marquee in Psalm 104 verse 2 and in Isaiah chapter 40 verse 22. And he makes a tent for the sun in Psalm 19 verse 5. And he repairs the tent, the skenane, of David in Amos chapter 9 verse 11. Psalm 16 verse 9 describes dwelling in safety under the Lord's protection, using the verb literally to encamp. And the famous line in Psalm 23, verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures, is, at least in the Septuagint, another instance of kataskenoo. We could translate it literally as, he sets my camp. In contrast, illness is like a tent pulled up and removed in Isaiah chapter 38, verse 12, and those in exile are described as going out of the safety of the city and instead camping in the plain in the prophet Micah chapter 4 verse 10. In the book of Wisdom chapter 9 verse 15, the metaphor extends still further to the corruptible body being like an earthly tent, a skenos, weighing down the mind. This is actually the only occurrence of this metaphor in the Old Testament. Going back to Israel's period in the desert en route to the Promised Land, Moses is the one who sets up a tent of meeting or of witness in Exodus chapter 33 verse 7, where he meets the Lord and speaks with him as a man speaks with a friend, while the people watch on from their own tents in Exodus chapter 33 verses 8 to 11. Note that the tent of meeting is a place to meet God, not where God resides. But God also sets out in Exodus chapter 25 plans for a tabernacle, a schemes, where the Ark of the Covenant is placed. And once Moses has completed that tabernacle according to God's design, the glory of the Lord enters the tabernacle and fills it in Exodus chapter 40 verse 34. And later we will see how this image of God's glory inhabiting a tent returns in the New Testament. Later in Israel's history, David proposes in the first book of Chronicles, chapter 28, verse 2, to make a more permanent dwelling for God rather than have him moving from place to place in a tent, as it says in the second book of Samuel, chapter 7, verses 6 to 7. But God, through the prophet Nathan, tells David that he cannot contain God in this way. Instead, God will build a house, a dynasty, 
for David. Sadly, carrying a tabernacle, a skenane, as a portable shrine also can happen with false gods, and it becomes an image of apostasy and an example of Israel's unfaithfulness, which leads to their forthcoming exile, as identified in the prophet Amos, chapter 5, verses 26 to 27, and we'll see that quoted later in the New Testament. Eventually, God's presence among his people is again expressed in mobile terms, when through the prophets, he declares his intention to encamp among them. That's kataskenen. That's in Ezekiel, chapter 37, verse 27, in Joel, chapter 4, verse 17, and in the prophet Zechariah, chapter 2, verse 14. The New Testament has far fewer occurrences of skene words, just under 40 in total compared to the over 500 in the Hebrew Scriptures. Half of these in the New Testament are the noun skene, including the Gospel of the Second Sunday of Lent, year A, as we've already mentioned. That's Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 to 9. And at that transfiguration of the Lord, Peter suggests building three tents, one for Jesus, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Peter's proposal is rich with resonance from the Hebrew Scriptures, especially in the presence of those two Old Testament heroes, one of whom, of course, erected the tent of meeting in Exodus chapter 33, as we've already seen. But we also sense the irony of Peter's aim to preserve this special moment via a structure, a tent, that is inherently transitory. And also there is irony in his futile aspiration to provide an adequate dwelling for the glory of God, as we glimpse a foretaste of that glory in Jesus' transfiguration. Kataskene refers to a nest in two places in the Gospels, just as we recall it being mentioned in Aristotle. The mustard seed grows into a place where birds can nest in Matthew chapter 13, verse 32, and also in its parallels in Mark chapter 4, verse 32, and Luke chapter 13, verse 19. And Jesus contrasts his own lack of a place to rest with the birds having nests in Matthew chapter 8, verse 20, and its parallel, Luke chapter 9, verse 58. The Apostle Paul is a tent maker, and the Greek word here is skenopoios, as are his friends Aquila and Priscilla, as revealed in Acts chapter 18, verse 3. Now, this is Paul's means of supporting himself financially, so as not to be a burden on the communities he visits, and have a look at the first letter of Corinthians, chapter 9, verses 12 and 15. Tent making has today become a metaphor in Christian dialogue for those who witness to the gospel alongside their day-to-day professional activity. Many other uses of skene words are metaphorical, nearly all of them drawing on the imagery of or sometimes directly quoting the Hebrew scriptures. So, for example, Abraham's dwelling in tents is, in the letter to the Hebrews, an image of the transitory state which all followers of the Lord must imitate in faith until we reach that city with foundations whose builder is God. That's in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 9 to 10. And Luke's Jesus urges his disciples to seek reward in the eternal dwellings, the skenas, in Luke chapter 16, verse 9. And the idea of a tent as a temporary state recurs in the metaphor of the body as a skene, which, as we saw, is rare in the Hebrew Scriptures, but occurs twice in the New Testament letters. In the second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5, verses 1, 2, and 4, Paul 
contrasts the earthly tent, the skenos of the body, in which we groan, with the more permanent building, and Paul uses for building the distinct word oikodomain, which is made by God in the heavens. In the second letter of Peter, chapter 1, verses 13 to 14, the writer uses the tent metaphor to acknowledge that his body, the skenomatos, will soon be put aside. Skene words refer to shelter provided by the Lord, just as in the Psalms. For example, when the power of Christ may dwell with the Apostle Paul in his weakness in the second letter to Corinthians, chapter 12, verse 9. And here the word is episkenose, that's literally, raise a shelter over me in my weakness. And Acts, chapter 2, verse 26, quotes Psalm 16, verse 9, which is, as we've seen, says, my flesh shall rest in hope. And the verb there is katoskenose. And that's in Acts, chapter 2, verse 26, it's used as a prophecy of Christ's resurrection. Other New Testament references to the Hebrew Scriptures containing uh, skenei words relate to tents as tabernacles or shrines. So the martyr Stephen refers to the tent of witness and to the skenoma that David has to build and to the sacrilegious skenei to Moloch from Amos chapter 5 verse 27. And all of these are during Stephen's address to the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 7. And so we see that in Acts 7, verses 43, 44, and 46. The book of Revelation has seven angels with seven plagues come out of the tent of witness in Revelation chapter 15, verse 5. And later in the Acts of the Apostles, James quotes Amos chapter 9, verse 11, to show that the rise of the church is a fulfillment of Amos's prophecy that promised the restoration of David's skene, and James's statement is in Acts chapter 15, verse 16. In John's Gospel, Jesus teaches during the Feast of Tabernacles, which, as we'll recall, in Greek was skenopegia. That's in John chapter 7, verses 2, 14, and 37. But the most numerous occurrences of skene words appear in the letter to the Hebrews, especially in chapters 8 and 9, where the author distinguishes between the earthly tabernacle of the Old Testament and Christ, the true tabernacle. The references here are Hebrew chapter 8, verses 2 and 5, and the letter to the Hebrews chapter 9, verses 2, 3, 6, 8, 11, and 21. The skene imagery of the Hebrew scriptures is also drawn on in the Johannine writings to describe God's dwelling. So in the book of Revelation, it alludes to those who dwell in heaven in Revelation chapter 12, verse 12, and chapter 13, verse 6. And in Revelation chapter 7, verse 15, God is a shelter for those who now serve before his throne. An even stronger echo of the Old Testament prophetic promise of God living with his people appears in Revelation chapter 21, verse 3, where the dwelling place, the skene of God, is with man and he will dwell, skenosei, with them as their God. But it is the prologue of John's Gospel which describes God living with us in the most intimate way of all, in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. John chapter 1 verse 14a says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Greek word for dwelt here is eskenosin, literally he pitched his tent among us. This recalls, and then goes beyond, Exodus's tent of meeting and the tabernacle to become the most complete way 
in which God meets with man. And as John chapter 1 verse 14b goes on to say, we beheld his glory. So the skene of Christ's humanity is also, just like Exodus chapter 40 verse 34, a tent filled with the glory of God. So, what does all of this mean for us? Well, first, in our life of faith, do we erect a tent to try to preserve things in a state which we find comfortable? Peter wanted to preserve the moment of the transfiguration, but in the end, he had to move on, back down the mountain. Are we the same, with our faith in a constant state of nostalgia, preserving good things, but risking suppressing the spirit? Or, instead, are we willing to break down our tents of comfort and move on as a pilgrim people with no permanent city here on earth, as it says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 14? And second, can we become tent makers wherever we live our day-to-day lives? So whether we're at work or parenting or as carers or whatever our state of life, Can we carry the gospel to others whom we meet in our day-to-day lives and make our routine activities part of our Christian witness? Because such witness is the duty of all the baptised, as it says in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 900. And the very diversity of our day-to-day occupations provides many places where we can uniquely and distinctively shine the light of the gospel. And finally, as it says in the Creed, Jesus is true God and true man. He is both dwelling with us and revealing his glory. Do we accept this fundamental truth? Or do we emphasize either his divinity or his humanity at the other's expense? Either spiritualizing Jesus so that we can't see his face in the people in need, or following Jesus just as if he were any other human ethical teacher, and as a result relying on our own efforts to make a better world without God's grace. Instead, while we are still in our own earthly skene, let's pray that through God's grace we will be formed more and more into the image of the one who pitched his tent, Eskenosen, among us. Amen. Mm-hmm.